0: All right, so welcome to a live episode of Bowel Sounds, the Pediatric GI Podcast, the official podcast of the North American Society of Pediatric Gastroenterology, Hepatology, and Nutrition, or NASPGAN. This is the very first live episode in Bowel Sounds history. We are so grateful to be recording this as part of the 36th annual meeting of the Society of Pediatric GI and Nutrition, or GPGE. We want to especially thank Dr. Kai Hensel and the other organizers of this meeting, for inviting us to join and also allowing us to record a podcast episode instead of doing a traditional talk. My name is Peter Liu.
1: And my name is Jennifer Lee, and we are pediatric gastroenterologists at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. We are two of the founders and hosts of the Bow Sounds podcast, which we started in November 2019. And we have interviewed leaders in pediatric GI on a variety of topics and have had over 40,000 downloads from around the world. Today, we are interviewing Dr. Carlo DiLorenzo, the guest from our very first episode, to talk about today's topic of how digital media, not only social media, but also blogs, podcasts, videos, and other platforms, is changing academic medicine around the world.
0: So of course, Dr. Carlo Carlo DiLorenzo needs no introduction, but we'll introduce him anyway. So he is the division chief of our GI division here at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. He's a, an endowed chair. He's a professor of pediatrics. He's a former NASPEGAN president. And uh, he's a former guest of this conference from two years ago. He's also one of the world leaders in not only the field of GI, but especially functional GI disorders and GI motility disorders. And as Jen mentioned, his greatest accolade of all, he's our first guest in uh, 2019. And friend. And friend? Yeah. yeah okay, friend. <laughs>
1: So before we get into the interview, a little bit of background. Peter, can we start by explaining what digital media is? Yeah.
0: So today we'll be talking about digital media. And as everyone knows, the internet has clearly transformed the way that we receive and disseminate information. It's led to the development of a number of platforms people use to learn, teach, and interact. These include social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Blogs like uh, the excellent Guts and Growth blog, which is uh, gutsandgrowth.com, run by Dr. Jay Hawkman, one of our uh, pediatric GI doctors in Atlanta. It also includes video platforms like YouTube and podcasts like our very own Bowel Sounds. So it's just some stats before we start. So based on data from Statista and the Next Web, so as of 2019, 2.3 of the world's 7.7 billion people use Facebook. Nearly 2 billion used YouTube, 1 billion used Instagram. And because Dr. DiLorenzo and every teenage girl around the world loves TikTok, <laughs> I'll mention that TikTok launched in late 2016 and by 2018 had half a billion users.
1: It's a lot of people.
0: So what about stats on podcasts? So based on very recent data from Nielsen, in the United States, 55% of people have listened to a podcast and 24% where 68 million listen to podcasts at least every week.
1: And not only are these platforms out there, but more people are using it and even studying it in medicine. So the number of publications related to this is continually going up. Our major GI journals, such as Gastroenterology and American Journal of Gastroenterology, have published reviews on how this is being used. A recent survey of GI fellowship program directors showed that social media is increasingly being viewed as a valuable tool for learning. And several recent publications have shown that social media activity increases citations of all of the great GI research publications. And one publication in 2019 showed that social media presence was even associated with reputation amongst GI division rankings in the United States.
0: And obviously this trend has only been magnified uh, by the COVID-19 pandemic. And in, in, in a 2020 survey that was published in JPGN in May of last year, A survey of North American Pediatric GI Fellowship program directors showed that 92% of training programs are using digital platforms for teaching, including resources from the NASPGEN website, other GI Society websites, our Sounds podcasts, and others.
1: So clearly digital media has become a widely used and valuable tool for learning and disseminating information, both for teaching and research. But creating this content and social media takes time. So we wanted to talk to our boss, Dr. DiLorenzo, about how he and the field should view the value of digital and social media content, especially in relation to traditional academic work and criteria for promotion.
0: So really, we just want to ask, since we're spending all this time on podcasts, is this going to help us get promoted? Yeah. So yeah. as a reminder, before we get to the actual interview, um, feel free to submit questions. We'll, try to, we'll save a few minutes at the end to, to talk about those as well. And uh, to get things started, Jen, with the first question.
1: Okay. So we are going to start. So welcome, Carlo DiLorenzo. Thank you
0: for joining us again.
1: We are going to start with one of the most challenging questions. For the listeners who don't know you, how would you describe yourself in one sentence?
0: In only one sentence.
2: All right. First of all, thank you for having me. Uh, this is a little bit of a different uh, type of uh talk and uh, scholarly work, but I think it's uh, going to be very interesting. So how do I find myself? Uh, I, I don't want to sound like I'm using false modesty, but I'm a normal guy. Hmm. I have no special talent. I'm not particularly smart. And I think this has helped me a lot. It uh, helps me to give lecture that the average person, since most people are average, that's by definition, find interesting, helps me relate To most people, Um, I watch TV like everybody else. I don't do anything special. I have no special talent, as I said. So I think actually that has helped me use hard work and perseverance to be successful. Because once again, I've been fairly successful in my work. And that has been by just hard work and perseverance.
1: It's a long sentence. Yeah, I don't... (laughs)
0: The question Normal was one guy. sentence.
2: But... Normal guy. Okay, okay. Normal and average guy. Okay. So,
0: so as someone who is not only a pediatric GI doctor, but also a leader in the field, the head of a large GI division, a mentor to a lot of more junior faculty, so we want to get your input on how digital media is changing the world of pediatric gastroenterology. And uh, But first, starting with a more personal question. So over the past few decades that you've been a pediatric GI doctor, how has the evolution of digital media, including social media, changed the way that you practice medicine, like literature, keeping up with the medical literature, communicating with others, teaching? How has that changed?
2: It's changed dramatically. I remember I've been in this field for more than 30 years now, and I remember receiving uh, by mail the two or three medical journals of our subspecialty, and then checking them out and maybe look at the index medicals and look at keywords, and that would take hours and days and now there are too many journals to be able to count them even there are countless articles published in my subspecialty every day so i actually do what most people uh, do i take shortcuts i don't get any more the journals in my office i just uh, look at the index of content that i receive from the different journals and then i use social media i use twitter Um, That's my favorite uh, uh, media that I use to keep up with the literature. I follow people that I trust that will disseminate helpful information. Miranda Miranda Van Tilburg is one. Ben Gold is another one. They often put links to important articles. And then I pubmed specific people that I know they are a leader in my field and try to keep up with what they have published. Um, I am a big fan of the bulletin board. PGI Bulletin Board. Just 20 minutes ago, somebody put something up there about COVID the vaccination and uh, uh, kids with IBD who receive RemiCade. Um, how does that affect uh, vaccination and, re- and the response, immunological response? Fascinating, very interesting.
1: Yeah, it's really changed. And writing research articles and book chapters have traditionally been accomplishments that are key not only for teaching, but also for furthering medical knowledge and, and one's reputation in the field. So how has this changed with the increase in digital media content?
2: So there is an entire field of digital scholarship now, right? Uh, it's, uh, and uh, the uh, thing that I want to point out is for old people like me, uh, not to trivialize it, you know, we are the mentor of the younger generation, and I've heard it and I see it often. People s- still trying to hang on to the old way to do business. That's the way we were raised. That's the way we got promoted. That's how we got our reputation. So that's don't waste your time uh, tweeting or, or, or on Instagram or, or, or on the bulletin board. Actually, that's not true. I've seen tremendous success stories like the two of you. Uh, that have uh, achieved tremendous uh, uh, reputation nationally and internationally through social media. I have to tell you maybe a dirty secret, even though most people probably know about it. When people organize meetings, conferences, there is no computer-generated algorithm that decides who is going to be the next speaker. It's usually a bunch of people in the room thinking, who can speak about this topic? And if you have just seen somebody on the bulletin board put down a very well thought out response on a specific topic, or if you've seen, heard a blog about it, or if you've seen some great tweets about it, you're going to think of that person. You may not be promoted because of that, but you're going to be invited. You're going to begin to build a curriculum. There are plenty of examples of people who have started that way and then inched their way higher up in the academic world. So, yes, Mm -hmm. I think that same effect explains
0: what, you know, So Jen mentioned that there's now several articles showing that research that's uh, promoted on social media is more likely to be cited Mm -hmm. because it's fresh in people's minds. It's another way of publicizing. And uh, yeah, I mean, obviously this this talk itself was, you know, because of work that we did through digital media and um, rather than our traditional journal articles and book chapters and things like that.
2: There is a, a, <clears throat> a new parameter called altmetrics, ALT metric, that uh, most journals now attach to each article they publish. And that kind of measure the impact, the social media impact of that article. How many times this has been tweeted, how many times it's been liked, how many times has been mentioned on Instagram or, 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 or Twitter and so on. So even that... Maybe take down, maybe one day take the place of the H index or the uh, other more traditional parameters.
0: And one thing that we haven't talked about yet as much is, so one major advantage of social media that wasn't possible before was that it allows people with similar interests like pediatric GI doctors from around the world uh, to communicate seamlessly. And uh, it's, you know, so like I mentioned, it's how we got invited to this talk. Um, so can you talk about the value of social media for building community and learning from others
2: around the world it's, it's, it's you know once again if you compare to thirty years ago where we used to send letters and to communicate uh, with people uh, now it's everything is immediate if I if I think about and yesterday I was thinking about to invite somebody on a very specific topic or the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics and what I did I just did a quick search, I, I, I uh, put a, a, a name, uh, a topic, and immediately I get a list of people that are experts on that field, and I will communicate and uh, contact them uh, in real time. Uh, you know, that, that has made it, uh, that type of interaction flawless, uh, sometimes almost too easy. Sometimes you get contacted by too many people uh, too often, but overall, I think it's a great benefit. <laughs>
1: Well, and especially with COVID-19, I mean, a lot of our conferences are now digital and we're not able to see people in person where we've normally been networking, but through social media, we're able to communicate with people throughout the year, not just at the at the conference.
2: Right. And now most uh, uh, um, presentations are taped and are available in perpetuity, and so you can actually even have the easy access to an expert's presentation that in the past you didn't have a uh, that opportunity.
0: So um, the, as you guys know, so yesterday and today, I'm one of the faculty for our NASS Began Fellows Conference. And uh, so a lot of the questions are focused on how do I get a job? How do I find p- openings um, in this time of COVID? And social media. I mean, a lot of big, important people like yourself are on social media. It's a way to get your name out there to communicate with people, to learn more about who these people are that you might work with in the future. So I think there's many different ways. There's so much potential that hasn't been fully realized and recognized by the medical community.
2: And, and uh, along the same lines, academic institutions, I feel, are uh, now lagging behind in terms of recognizing the impact in through social media that people have on their uh, community because in order to be promoted, you still probably need to publish and get <laughs> grants. and, and, and But it's going to be a lot easier to publish and be invited to speak if you are active on social media. So it's a little bit of a first entry, even in a more traditional type of uh, setup, which is the one of uh, traditional academic institutions.
1: So you mentioned about, you know, sitting around the room thinking about people who could be experts to talk about this. But clearly, everything on social media is not peer reviewed like research. So is it fair that since anyone can post on social media or make a podcast that certain people are coming to your mind as ones that you should follow? How should we find those people?
2: so it 's a double edged sword. you know people can actually damage their reputation as well through social media i've seen people writing things on the p g i bulletin board that i that made me think <laughs> less of them uh, <laughs> uh, so yes you 're right it 's not just a matter of being out there and not just not a matter of just volume but the quality of what you put out there. I think people that have been in the field or leaders in the field will recognize the difference between. Uh, 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 just uh, uh, saying something and saying something meaningful and well thought out. So when I, when I actually uh, uh, provide some mentorship to the junior faculty, I tell them, you know, think twice. This is like a letter to the editor, but it's a letter to the editor that a lot more people will see. If you send a letter <laughs> to the editor to Archives of Disease in Child, just to pick one, out, one, one journal, very few people will see it. If you put it on the bulletin board, 2,000 of your peers We'll see it. Um, so, yes, double-edged sword just not just a volume thing. It's a quality thing as well.
1: Well, and I can't help but think that, you know, when I have published a paper before, I don't know how many people are looking at it. And you mentioned altmetrics, but it's not 100%. And sometimes with our, with our Twitter post or with our podcast, we're reaching thousands of people on an, any given day.
0: Yeah, and they can in real time respond and give feedback. So... Yeah. I mean, I think one other thing just to, just to mention, right. So like this podcast, for example, we're just recording ourselves talking to people who know things, you know, how do you measure that up with someone who's published three papers? You know? So I think obviously there's varying quality, there's varying quality in published in publications as well. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I think a lot of academic institutions, reputation matters a lot for promotion. And so there's no doubt that social media, digital media, Putting time into well-thought-out products, I mean, that's going to go a long way. So.
2: It, it pays off.
1: This is a question from the audience, and p- please feel free to send more questions. I want to talk a little bit more specifically about Twitter. So what are some of the strengths of Twitter, and why can and should everyone in academic medicine use Twitter?
2: And there are people that are a lot more uh, accomplished and educated than I am. Uh, about twitter and how to use it right but uh, one of the advantages is that uh, you know you can reach in real time make a comment on real time on topics once again i have the covid is uh, one that uh, has uh, put uh, uh, media like twitter at the front line you were getting information in real time about events that were happening so fast that probably you will not be able to keep up with New England Journal of Medicine or JAMA. While on the other hand, on Twitter, if you follow people you trust, you're going to be able to be on top of things immediately. So the, the immediate effect of, of Twitter, the ability to choose people you trust to follow. I encourage people not to follow too many people. You get a little bit diluted. <laughs> I have my rule of 99. I follow only nine, 99 people. She's still uh, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, so there, there is a, quite a big uh, one advantage there. Yeah, I,
0: I think one other thing just to throw out there about Twitter, I think a lot of people are intimidated by Twitter, like what to do when you're on it, that kind of thing. And in reality, you don't need to be super active. Mm-hmm. Even if you just create an account, log on, you follow people that you're interested in, and you like things, that's already a huge amount. That's, I mean, if you retweet, you curate. There's, there's a lot of levels of how much effort you have to put into Twitter. You know, if you can, you can spend tons of time creating content, or you can just be learning from people who are creating content around you.
2: The other things that people of my generation will uh, say dismissively: How do you find time for all of that? How do you have the time? As you said, it doesn't take much time. You can look at it while you're walking. Yeah, uh, You know, while, while you're relaxing, you can do it in, in bed. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't take that much time uh, to keep up.
0: Yeah. I think one last plug about Twitter um, that I think that hasn't been mentioned yet is, you know, when you publish something, I mean, there's a conversation about it on Twitter that's happening. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there, ha- there are exam- prominent examples in the past couple of years of publications that have come out and there's been a conversation about about it on Twitter, and the journal has had to retract the article because of what happened on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, that's uh, you know, like like Dr. Dorn's mentioned, a double-edged sword. But it's one of those things where the conversation is happening there, with or without you. You know, if you're there, at least you know what people think and what's going on. And uh, you know, people have had chances to respond to some of the criticism of their their of their journals. So you know as the data that we kind of went over in the introduction shows this is a a trend that's only going to continue and uh, i think it's going to only grow how important it is to be present on social media and be part of that conversation
1: yeah so we hope everyone that's here in the conference will come and join us
0: there's a question from Christian Flüger um is by using social media to which degree are you afraid of fake news and how do you discriminate between what to believe and what not to believe? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, I think there's a couple parts of that question that we want to answer. So one is like, how do you yourself discriminate between what's true and what's not? But then also as a physician, you have some responsibility potentially depending on how, you know, how you feel about it to maybe respond, uh, I think the first thing, you know, my, we can, I guess we'll kind of take turns. Like, I think my part, Dr. DiRenzo mentioned, you want to find people that you trust to follow. Right. And, uh, you know, everyone that I follow, I'll at least look at their profile, look at their credentials, look at the stuff that they've been tweeting to see if it's worth putting that into my feed. And uh, I think another thing is I also try to see if other people, like if they made it to Dr. DiRenzo's 99, if other people follow them uh, that I trust. So... Right. I think that is a big part of, um, you know, how to make sure that the information you're getting is correct. And in in reality, sometimes it's hard to tell. And sometimes you have to unfollow them if you feel like this is not something that's, you know, really accurate.
1: Well, and it's not just with following, but anytime you retweet or like something, it gets continually promoted. So before you hit that heart, before you hit the retweet, I think that's an important thing to think about as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Try to find some other uh, venue where that type of information is confirmed or or dismissed. So it's like any other paper. You don't want to just believe everything you read. You need to double check facts. But yeah, follow people you trust. That's your best advice.
0: Yeah. And responding, I think. So uh, we had a webinar last week sponsored by NASB again where we talked about this uh, specific topic and invited some, like, experts who are very active on social media. And I think the take-home is, in reality, you don't owe anything to anyone. You, you know, you use social media how you want to. You don't have to feel the pressure to respond to everything that's not true. But if you do, that's awesome, because people do need to be out there. And if we're not responding, you know, misinformation is only going to expand to fill that void. That's true. And so... um, Anyways, well,
1: and one other thing to know about is at least at Nationwide Children's Hospital where we are, we actually have a whole department that's dedicated to monitoring the social media chats. And so I have never received this, but I've heard that if you promote things that may not be correct or you say something controversial, you actually may get a notification from someone in that department to think about taking that down.
0: And they'll also let you know if a family said something about you that's positive or, you know, so it's, yeah. So I think that's only going to grow over time.
1: And we only have a few minutes left. So Dr. DiLorenzo, just in closing, when you look back on your career so far, what is the most valuable advice that you've received? And what's the most valuable advice you can give us and all of the listeners? No pressure. <laughs> the most valuable.
2: <laughs> I, I don't know if it is the most valuable, but one that stayed with me, that uh, Professor Torsoli, who was the guy that founded the Rome Criteria, uh, told me one day at a conference, said, you know, punctuality is the politeness of kings. Uh, kings don't have to be punctual. This is a platitude that's been used a lot. But, but that tells me that you still need to be prompt you still need to uh, uh, do your job on time you still need to be nice even if you are the king to other people that work with you uh, that you know in my mind that goes to mentees and trainees and uh, and and just respect them you need to you need to be punctual that's a sign of respect i feel actually quite (laughs) strong about that and that has helped nobody's on time (laughs) nobody that thinks on time so if you are on time actually that will take you very far um,
0: and uh, I'm guessing this applies to not only meetings but also uh, reviews and chapters,
2: papers, closing charts, writing your writing your notes, uh, answering to your patients. Patient sends you a message. Don't wait four days to answer. Patients' families worried. Answer yeah. immediately. Yeah, uh,
0: that's, that's good. Uh, that's like, I feel like a lot of people have advice that's like follow your passion. You know, that's a good practical advice that everyone can do, no matter what level you're at. Absolutely. So,
2: uh, all right. And another, you know, another thing that I tell people is something that actually Woody Allen once said. He said 80% of success is just showing up. Uh, and, and that's true. You just need to volunteer. You need to say yes when you get invited. You're going to hear about people teaching how to say no, how to decline. Say yes. Get involved. Participate. Contribute. It's going to help you.
0: Excellent. Words of wisdom. For more, follow him on Twitter. <laughs> All right. Thank you all so much for joining us on this episode of Bowel Sounds. Um, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or really anywhere you find podcasts. And uh, we will soon be moving over to twice monthly episodes, which is a huge step for us. And this episode should be out sometime next week, depending on how much time I have over the weekend. But thank you again, Dr. Hensel and every all the organizers for allowing us to join this wonderful conference. Bye for now. Bye.